pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menas, and joining me for this edition of the show, I have former sports writer and News Corp editor, James McSmith. How are you, Macca? Very well, thanks, Menas. It's a pleasure to be here once again, just you and me, so it's just the last wicket stand for us. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's like the old days, and I'm obviously very well refreshed after a long break. It's great to be back in front of the mic. I was over in England. It's a pretty horrible place, England. I can see why so many come over here. And and just as well, there's been absolutely no news while you've been away, Menas. Well, should I clarify, London's a pretty horrible place. And as you're talking about news, we're going to get to Ben Stokes. But what people don't know is I was just off camera egging Stokes on because I wanted him ruled out of the upcoming Ashes summer. So mission accomplished there. Big tick for me. On was my that, was that your footage? wasn't my footage. As I said, I was just encouraging Stokes not to give up. Uh, now, we've got a big show. We've got a lot to catch up on. So we've got an Aussie cricket catch up. Then we've got a huge show announcement. Then we've got the headlines, we've got to read and react, and we're going to bring it all home with a short JLT Cup chat. And if I had a few words with the new head of the Big Bash League. So, Macca, let's start, though, with Ben Stokes. Obviously, this is the first podcast since his much-publicized yep. incident on the Bristol streets late one evening. When, when the footage emerged of his violence, what did you think? Well, man, as... It, it went absolutely ballistic, this story, didn't it? It just went off the charts. And I think once you've seen the footage, you know, and it was a fantastic get for the Sun newspaper in England, I think that footage, it's rather damning of Stokes. And I think if that footage hasn't emerged, it might be more a clear-cut case of self-defence. But I, I'd love to think, first of all, what you think will happen here, man, because I've got a strong opinion on it, and I'd love to know what you think. I think there's absolutely no way Ben Stokes can come on the Ashes tour. He should be stripped of any captaincy duties for England for the foreseeable future. From there, once he has a judicial penalty, they can work out long-term how long he should be banned from the English cricket team. I mean, anybody that saw that footage, it's indefensible. I mean, he went on and on and on. The English vice-captain should be an example for society. Okay, someone takes a swing at you, you defend yourself. If you saw the footage, that wasn't what happened. He kept going and going and going. And look, we should congratulate him. He got married yesterday, old Ben Stokes. So I wonder, was that one of those things where they just let him out for the day from jail or he has to go back in the evening? What do you think? That was his last act as a bachelor, wasn't it? So thank God he got married. Man, as I think, I mean, this guy came at him with a bottle. That's, you know, that's a, an act which is, you know, stirring things up, isn't it? So I, I think if I was on the jury and I saw that, I, I think I might have a difficult time convicting Stokes on that one. It's, when someone comes at you with a bottle, that's a pretty aggressive, intimidating. what about act. when he decks the guy? The guy's basically given up and I then know, he decks him and then he wants to deck his mate and Hales has to stop him. Well, he, you know, I, I, I'm not condoning the act at all, but this guy's kicked it off and then when he started and he got himself in too deep, he's, he's, he's backed out. What I think should happen is that, you know, often these judicial proceedings take a while to go through. So... More than anything, all of us afforded the presumption of innocence. So for mine, I think obviously Stokes has to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. This case won't go on, won't be in before the old Bailey or whatever until next year. So I think I, I would, if I was England, I would let him go on the tour. And I, I think, you know, it will create something of a circus. You're crazy. But if they deal with it straight away, well, he hasn't been found guilty yet. Uh, the footage is pretty damning. I mean, the is guy- that what you want? Is that a person you want representing your country at the highest level? He, he, I'm not saying he did the right thing, and I'm not condoning what he did, but he Sounds someone like you are. Someone came at him with a bottle. You know, this, this guy's a bad dude. He came at him with a bottle, and if Piers, uh, Piers Morgan is to be correct, right, he came to the defence of some rather vulnerable citizens in our community. So that's to be commended on that part. Yeah, I just don't think he should be been involved in any situation like that. I think it's a massive failure from Trevor Bayliss and Andrew Strauss and their whole policy of letting these blokes do whatever they want. I think the way they're managing the team, that's a failure. And yeah, I just just don't think he can come. What do you think about what Steve Waugh said when he said, England without Ben Stokes, I don't think they can win the Ashes. Do you think that's the case, that without Ben Stokes, England are cooked? Well, man, I'd just like to say, you know, that I think 
he obviously should have known better as a senior member of the England team that he should have killed that situation. But we can move on. From memory, last time when the English were out here, Stokes was about the only one who put his hand up. He was about the only one fighting back. He was about the only one who had a good game. Fighting back on the field? Yeah, or? on the field, yeah. And so, I mean, he's a real agitator, isn't he? He's someone who can turn the tide of a test match, grab the game by the scruff of the neck, as it, as it were. And, I, yeah, I just... It, it really puts a huge sort of dent in their side, does it? They've got some other players there who the jury's very much out on their whether they fit in, whether they can cut it at international level. So I can't see them winning, no. Yeah, I just remember last year when A.B. de Villiers was ruled out of the, the South African tour in Australia. And I think unequivocally, we all said, well, without A.B. de Villiers, South Africa can't win. But it turned out they did win the series, the test series in Australia. And I think we're in that situation again where maybe his absence, Stokes' absence, will galvanise some of the other players. So that's a fear. Yeah, that's a good point. But I just don't know if England have the attack that South Africa did last summer, do they? No, I don't think Mm. they do, but we'll see. Um, Ben Stokes, I don't think, will be coming. And let's move on now, Macca, because we've done enough Stokes bashing and he's done enough bashing. So I want to now talk about some of the cricket that happened while the podcast has been on a break. Now, the last show was after Australia's humiliating defeat in the first test in Bangladesh. I think there was a lot of doom and gloom hanging over my head after that first test defeat. Then Australia came back in the second test on the back of Nathan Lyon's 13 wickets to level the series one all. A really good victory in the subcontinent for Australia. Uh, how did you see that victory? Well, man, as I was someone who was issuing caution, saying, you know, Bangladesh, they're a, they're a good side. They're not the easy beats of yesteryear, especially at home. And I wasn't surprised that they won that test. Admittedly, our performance on the Wilming. But the second test, I think the most important point there that a few people have made that was that as the tour went on, we got better and better, didn't we? We adapted to conditions. And once again... You know, you got to point back to the shocking preparation we had, which was obviously affected by the pay dispute. And, you know, it was and a great... tour match was rained as, out. A, a, absolutely. And, you know, I think you've got to give it to the Aussies for fighting back and, you know, s- scrapping a 1-1 draw, drawn series. Yeah, a great victory. They they lost the toss, so Bangladesh batted first in that match. So from there, you would have thought Bangladesh were in the ascendancy. But Australia on the back of line. So line took 7 for 94 and 6 for 60. He's only the second ever non-Asian player to take 13 wickets in a match on the subcontinent. The other, the other bowler is Ian Botham. Also, David Warner's 123 in Australia's first innings should be noted. He scored centuries in both test matches in that series. And considering he had such a poor tour of India and everyone was sort of starting to question whether he could score runs overseas, good comeback from Warner. Ben, as you point to both of those guys, Lyon, you know, he's been... he's polarised fans, his career has been up and down, he was almost out of the team last summer, and it's a great, you know, he's a great model of perseverance for all of us, isn't he? And he's, he's moulded his game, and he, he he refines it to the conditions, and good on him for such a good effort over there, and Warner's the same as him, and we were sort of thinking, you know, that he was starting to eke out a, a reputation for himself as a bit of flat track bully, he's he scored the large majority of his tons in Australia, but that was a fantastic knock of just knowing, of, of game awareness, of knowing what needed to be done at that time in those conditions. So good on Warner and, and Lyon. Helped save the Aussie pride in that match. There was one weird incident. I don't know if you saw it, but Pete Hanscom was batting, I think, on the second afternoon. He was only about 50 not out, and he had a massive meltdown at the crease. Looked like he was about to pass out. Uh, they had to get the, the, the salt pills out there, and, you know, he looked in real trouble. And I was just thinking, God, you know, he only made 50. I mean, the conditions must have been pretty oppressive for him to be struggling, you know, only 50 runs into his innings. Yeah, man, it's, I think it's a funny one. And you, you, maybe you made the point uh, before that, you know, in this day and age of, you know, sports science, how does that sort of happen? I mean, I, I, you know, I've suffered heat stroke at times myself. And but you're not the fittest player. I, I know, exactly. I'm just saying, once it hits, there's nothing you can do, you know. It comes out of nowhere. But I think it also goes back to that thing that uh, you look at a lot of scientific studies and a lot of these, these Gatorades, these power aids, they're not proven that they actually put the salts back in the body. So maybe he was a little bit crook 
to begin what with. What would Alan Border have said to yeah. him out there? I mean, you know, Dino struggled to 200, Hanscom struggled to 50. Yeah, I think maybe he was a little bit crook. You know, some days your body's just a bit off. And was it 40 degrees there in humid conditions? Yeah. Fair difference to conditions in Victoria. Yep. So Australia leveled the series one all. And I'm going to give you an update of Australia's ranking in all forms of the game as we go through this cricket catch-up. So let's start with the test ranking for Australia. Australia is ranked fifth in test cricket. India are number one, South Africa two, England three, New Zealand. I'll repeat that, New Zealand four, Australia five. Pretty poor ranking for Australia there. Manners, are we really the fifth best test side in the world? Are we really? Yeah, I think we are. Maybe even worse. I mean, we can't win away. England lost at home to the West Indies. One match. They still won the series. Mm, I don't know. I just, you know, it's a great talking point, but as always with some of these rankings, there's well, a when few we're question one, marks. When we're one, we, we <laughs> harp on about how good we are. Yeah. So. All right, next cricket catch-up, the Australia v. India one-day international series. It was an abysmal 4-1 series loss for Australia. Warner, Finch, Coulton Isle did okay throughout the series, but we were completely outclassed. And I think what came out of this series, more than anything, is the need for context around these series. And we're going to get to the news later that the ICC have changed that. But in the end, a pretty soul-destroying series for Australia. Menas, I'll give you the context for this series. And it's one thing, money. And that, and that's the way the world is. Cricket Australia is making a handful of cash out there. There's probably a reciprocal agreement, you know, that India comes over here in for some little... Tin pot one day series in a couple of seasons when Cricket Australia makes 20 or 25 million through board broadcast rights for those games. I don't have a problem with that at all, but you're right. These series sort of come and go, and it's not hard to believe that we get absolutely spanked over there because you, they're just thrown to the wolves. Yeah, I can't understand what the selectors were thinking. Hilton Cartwright opened the batting for the first two games in this series while Finch was injured. And it, I, don't, I, know, I don't know why they would throw someone so inexperienced up to open the batting when you had someone like Travis Head who, who opened the batting last summer and scored a big century. So, you know, I think that the selectors and the captain had some muddled thinking there. Well, and just to give you an idea of how bad we are in one-day cricket, this year Australia, the world champions, has played 15 games and we've won just five, lost eight, and only won one game away this year. So, I mean, we're struggling in one-day cricket, aren't we? That is bad, but man, I don't really have a problem with them experimenting in these games, you know. I, I think, you know, give Cartwright a go. I, I think Head probably should have opened the batting, but I don't mind them, you know, experimenting. So you just like losing? Because that's what we're doing now. We lose every game of cricket almost. Man, as long as we win the World Cup like we always do, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. As long as we win the World Cup, but we're not looking good at all. And you need to get in the habit of winning. I mean, you keep losing games. It, it's, you know, it catches on, unfortunately. So Australia lost that series in India 4-1. Our one-day international ranking is actually the best of all the, the rankings. Australia are third in one-day international cricket behind India and South Africa. So that's fifth in tests, third in one-dayers. And now to the final form, the T20 series wrap in India. Australia, I guess, got away with a moral victory. They lost the first game, but they leveled the series in the second T20 game against India. And then the third one was washed out. But all in all, a sort of one-all series draw is, is, is a moral victory after the way we played in the 50-over game. Yeah, you're right. And it's pity that we you know, didn't get an opportunity to win the series. But I think that was a good way to sort of fight back in that second game for sure. Berendorf's four for 21 in the second T20 International was a highlight for me. Just shows that, you know, he really could be destructive at the top level this summer. Also, the Aussie bus came under fire from some disgruntled Indian fans who threw some rocks at the window. And not good when you see those sort of images come out. No, it's not. And I think it's probably, they would, when you said he's gruntled, upset at the Indian loss. But, it, you know, it's, it's not great. And you'd, you'd hope that security would be better than that. Yeah, Ben Stokes wasn't in India then, was he? I'm not sure, was he? I'm not sure. We'll check that out. So, Australia, a one-all series tie, and our T20 rank now is six. So We've always been around about six, so haven't that's, we? That's, so. that's obviously our worst format, <laughs> but, isn't but it? It is. Warner came out with some interesting comments after one of these games. I think it was after the win. The, the comments were perceived as him maybe 
posturing for a permanent captaincy gig. And those comments were perceived as being uh, not a slight, but as, as, as him saying that he was a more aggressive skipper than Steve Smith. Do you think that's what he was saying? Do you think Warner's sort of just knocking shoulders a bit, letting Smith know he's there, but also he wants to be skipper of, of one of these limited oversides? Well... Steve Smith has now missed Australia's last eight T20 internationals. And one of the problems with T20 internationals is they're tacked on when most of our senior players are resting. So they've talked about having a coach, a specific T20 coach come in. I think if Warner wants to take charge of the T20 side, that might be a way to go to ease some of the burden off Steve Smith and give Warner ownership of the the T20 side. He's done so well in the IPL. I don't think, though, Warner was posturing against Smith. I think there was a few leading questions. I just think that it's one of those things now where Smith's never there for the T20s, Lehman's never there for the T20, so it sort of feels like just a bit of an add-on, and I think they need to bring in a coach and a captain to take charge of the format. But don't you, you know, Warner's in the same boat as Smith. I would say is that, you know, these are our two most important batsmen. Uh, you know, they the only ones who, when you look at who scored tons over the last few summers, it's them. And, you know, obviously Smith's had a few niggles, hasn't he? I think it's his shoulder now. It's his knee before. And, you know, if he twists his knee at a T20 game in Rajasthan and he's out of the ashes, we're just up in arms, aren't we? But the same thing for Warner. If he, you know, did his thumb again in one of these games and missed the ashes, it's just a bit silly for mine. And so I wouldn't mind, again, if T20 was just a completely different side of the best BBL players. Chris Lynn could be captain, for example. You know, that, does, that, that, that sits quite well with me. What do you think? Oh, I don't like that. I think we need to get better at this format. We need to come up with a squad that could potentially win a T20 but I, World but Cup. I think, you know, if you have guys like Chris Lynn and some of these other guys who are T20 experts... When available, I think they've got to be brought in. Mm. Uh, And I think Warner, as T20 captain, might be a first step. He can start to build a side. Smith can play. Who comes in as coach? Langer? Or do you need someone who's even more? Langer would be good. Langer would be good. All right, so that was the cricket catch-up. We're now going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with news about the podcast. Pattinson steaming in. has a test wicket. Wonderful stuff. The booming drive outside off stump. Trying to smash it through the offside. There's a little bit of movement there. And that dreadful noise of the stumps being broken. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was James Pattinson taking his first test wicket. And we are going to get to some cricket headlines in a minute. But Macro, what's some big show news about the Australian Cricket Podcast? Let's hear it. So, in great news... I've been taken on by News Corp to produce and host That's a, great new, news. a new cricket pod. Thank you, a new cricket podcast for the summer. I'm also going to be writing a weekly cricket column. I'm going to be drawing on all the resources of News Corp and all the journos there. But sadly, that means that this is the second last Australian cricket podcast. That is sad news, Menes. Now I've been taken on for the foreseeable future. If I offend too many people and get chucked out of News Corp, maybe I'll start the podcast up again. Um, But at this stage, forging ahead with a new show. So really exciting. In two weeks, the new show makes its debut. You know, a lot of the familiar voices that you've heard. I can't wait to make my debut on that show either, man. Yeah, look, it helps that you work for News Corp as well. Um, But it does make a few... So next week will be the last show, but it does make a few changes to the band list. So the band list currently, it's just Gurinder Sandhu on his own, his band from the podcast. <laughs> what about Ed Cowan? Well, that's the thing. So when remember when I spoke about that, I had to put it to Joe Carter. Yep, yep. He has declined to put okay. Ed Cowan on the okay. band list. So, when are you coming on, Ed? We know you're a big listener of the show. <laughs> but I do have some more people for the band list. So all the Fairfax journalists straight away on the band yep. list. Uh, obviously, News Corp's rivals. So, yep. James Buckley, who's been on the show, great bloke. Sorry, mate, band. Yep. Bye-bye, Chris Buckers. Barrett, really good journo, band as well. So, that's so Sandu's not alone. And I've got one more for you. 
bit of a left field one, and this is not from Fairfax. I was listening to to Brett Jeeves talk on a, a Fox Sports Who? cricket. Yeah, exactly. Talking on a Fox Sports cricket podcast. So I listened to him give his opinions for an hour. And then yep. at the end of the show, he says, I don't like to watch cricket. I probably won't watch the Ashes, and I don't want much. don't watch much cricket. Now, if you're a cricket pundit, shouldn't you at least watch it or pretend to watch it? Or at least pretend that you don't not watch it. Yep. So, Brett Jeeves, <laughs> you go on the ban list. And, you know, if you're going to come out and say you don't like watching cricket, I'm sorry, but he's still know, writing get a new job. He's still writing about when he got kicked off a tour in well, 89. That's why no one would talk to him yeah. on tour because he doesn't like cricket. <laughs> and we're all like, so, you know, how do I don't want to go to training. I don't want to talk about cricket. I don't cricket. want to go to the game. Yeah. So, no wonder uh, the truth comes out. So, that's it. I've gone professional. I'm now a cricket journalist. The podcast is changing to a new one. And uh, next week is the final Australian cricket podcast before the new show kicks off. All right. So, Maka, let's continue with the cricket headlines brought to you by our fantastic Patreon subscribers. I want to thank you all for your support. I've paused all your subscriptions. I would go in now and cancel all your Patreon subscriptions to the Australian Cricket Podcast. Thanks for your support. If you want, you don't have to cancel it, but (laughs) I won't be doing any more Australian Cricket Podcasts. Big changes to international cricket, Macca. Massive changes. Nine Test Nations will now play six series each over two years. Three home, three away series. Earning points, and that will move towards a cricket test championship. Long overdue change. It is long overdue, man. It's, I, I, and, you know, it's good on the ICC for finally bringing it along, though. But I think you do make a few points here. Uh, every Every two years, I mean... Uh, every World Cup, every you know the so Olympic- after every two years they're going to play a deciding final, and I, it's look, too often. You think it should be every I, four it's years? Far too often. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't want to criticize it until we get into it. But one thing I think that if it was over four years, maybe it would just get it would be too rare. So every four years, it, it's a couple yeah, of deaths. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I like this way of two years, six series. Let's see how it goes. Okay. I don't want to complain because it's been so long coming that mm, at yep, least they're trying fair, fair something. Fair enough, fair enough. The one thing I am a bit miffed about is why would you play the final at Lords? It was the home of cricket maybe 100 years ago. It's not anymore. You could play in India where you know most of the cricket world is centred. You could play at the MCG. You could play at the SCG. So I don't know if Lords per se would be the best venue. I'm with you on that one. Of course it's a home of cricket, but it's some old world thinking, isn't it? And I really think that you're going to get 20,000 people in Well, there. I think, you know, you, you have to, it has to be played at the home ground of one of these teams, of one of the teams that make the final, doesn't it? So, for argument's sake, if Australia have the best record over that two year period and say we host um, South Africa, we get the choice of venue, don't we? And you have it at the MCG. I, I mean, I'd love to set it at the SCG, but you might have it at the MCG to maximise revenue. But. Yeah, I mean, what if it's South Africa and, you know, India at Lords? They'll still get a decent crowd, but you India at home, you, yeah, you'd, I think you'd want that. And, you know, like you said, to have the first one ever, obviously the first ODI World Cup finals at Lords, you know, yeah, it's a new world now. Cricket's much bigger than just some little postcode in London. Exactly. So, yeah, big changes. I'm happy to see it. Now, a 13-team one-day league will now be added to the calendar and that will now be used as a direct qualification for the World Cup. So all of a sudden, 50 over cricket will have context. I just wonder how many teams will make the World Cup. So if you've got 13 teams playing off in a one-day league, I mean, you would have a maximum of 10 making the World Cup. Well, I, I mean, mean if it was 12, well, would you play, you know, three years of qualifications to knock out one team? That, that's cricket's problem, isn't it? That that just, in terms of a World Cup, that we don't have as many competitive nations as, as football, as soccer. But look, I, I guess you have to cap it at 10, don't you? And then, but... Then it has some interest because yeah, the bottom three yeah. of the league are going to miss out on the World Cup. But, man, I, I, I know you're... I think I get the impression you're a big fan of this ho- this seemingly endless drawn-out qualification process, for example, for the FIFA World Cup, but it just goes on forever, and I don't know if a lot of these games really capture the imagination. Obviously, for Australia now, we're at the tail end of it all, having just beaten Syria, and we're going to play Honduras, but then we make the World Cup, we play three games, can't win a game. I don't know, I just think it's all a bit prolonged, and I just don't know if cricket 
exactly needs that. But I guess it does give some context to, to these games, doesn't it? But it's not like any of the big names are going to miss out. Well, I guess they could. I mean, theoretically, if you play really badly, you could. For example, this last series in India where we're all bored and uninterested. Well, if that has serious ramifications to qualifying for the World Cup, then perhaps there's more interest involved. Also, I like the fact that they want to cap limited over series to three-match series instead of these you know, five- or seven-match one-day series. So I think that that's a good step forward. My only worry is... You know, three-match series, if it rains or something, all of a sudden... Yeah, I don't have a problem with five matches, but I think... So, they cap them at three-match series. So, this, so next summer, we'll have South Africa for three matches, India for three matches, the West Indies for three matches. There are ways around it, aren't there, really? Yeah, exactly. But look, they've done something. The ICC have done something. I was surprised. And last thing with the ICC changes. Now, where do you stand on four-day tests? Well, obviously, rain becomes a problem, doesn't it? That is a major problem. And I think if playing devil's advocate, imagine you had an Ashes decider in Sydney and it was four days and, you know, it's been raining for half a day and, you know, Australia are chasing 200 to win and on the fourth day we're, you know, eight for 180. I mean, I don't think you really want those limitations. What about, though, for other nations? What about giving nations the freedom to be able to schedule four-day yeah, tests. Like South Africa, Zimbabwe have instigated this by wanting to schedule a four-day test, test for Boxing Day this year. The ICC have said they'll support this as a trial until 2019. I mean, if yeah. it's a case of not playing test cricket or playing a four-day test between a lesser nation, maybe that's a way yeah, to go. Yeah, I think that's – if you want to have that flexibility, and I guess you'd, we'd never say – you know, if, if you did, Australia would never schedule a four-day Ashes test, would you? So, I, yeah, I think that's fair. You know, we need this flexibility in the schedule and for the fans to, you know, to keep cricket engaging its viewers, for sure. I think listeners might have thought I would be radically opposed to four-day tests, but I think you've got to be pragmatic – you know, once you have play nations like Ireland, Afghanistan, play more test cricket, if you can play yeah. a, a decent four-day test match, then it's better than them not playing a test match at all. Well, man, as the other thing that probably comes into this is that radical idea that sort of come forward in London at Lords, where they can, and I don't know how far away it is from fruition, but they float some sort of balloon device or, you know, a, a tent-like cover over a venue like Lords that protects it in the event of rain. Once again, it might be a long way away, but then that can, you know, if, if we're protected from rain at some of these venues, you could play a four-day test, couldn't you? And that could really make them really intensive um, yeah, games of venues, yeah. You know, venue cricket grounds with roofs. Mm, I mean, Where global warming's going, they might need it. And... Well, I mean, then you, 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 could cons- you could... There's no reason why we couldn't have a test match at the Docklands in Melbourne, is there? I mean, I know some of the traditionalists would be up in arms, but some of those MCG games when you don't get massive... You know, crowds. crowds. And you're not going to take away the Boxing Day test, but say you have one earlier in the summer, that could really work. Exactly. So, big changes afoot in international cricket. Now, more cricket headlines. John, the Duke Hastings, has retired from first class and 50 over cricket, citing a succession of crippling injuries, four shoulder operations, four ankle operations, and now a knee injury have taken its toll. Uh, so he's, I think he's eyeing off a big payday in T20 cricket. Oh, he definitely is, man. And this is sad because Hastings was someone, and I love the nickname, the Duke. He was someone I really enjoyed watching play because I think he was always trying to force the pace of the game. He was always looking to do something, always looking to do something different. He was never content to sit back and let the game Yeah, big hitter. Yeah, he used to yeah. bustle in and hit the yeah, pitch hard. Yeah, he did. He charged. And I think, unfortunately, it shows that how hard he's being all rounder these days, isn't it? That you to batting and bowling. Shane Watson's obviously struggled with a lot of injury as well. But I think it points to something else. I mean, he's 31. He's obviously thought, well, if I retire now, I've maybe got four or five years of playing in all these T20 leagues where he can earn lots of sweet, sweet cash, and good luck to him. Yeah, yeah. But before these leagues came about, he wouldn't have retired. He'd have just kept playing, and he probably could have kept playing. But, you know, you have to make that decision now about – 
this point of your career, if you're not going to get picked much for Australia again, if you feel you're starting to get left behind, it's the time to retire and play on. Well, even if T20. he's at the top of his career, and you know, obviously that number six all rounder test spot is up in the up in the air again. Are we going to play with an all rounder? Then he's someone that could be considered, but you can't blame him for that. I mean, this is someone who's a fantastic athlete. I believe that he chose cricket over AFL, and if he played AFL, he could have had. What ten seasons on half a mil, perhaps, and you know, as a ruckman or as a full forward or something. So, you know, now he can get a payday for what he's thirty-one. I mean, if he play, you know, look at Hogg, he, he could play almost ten five years. years. Is it five, six years well, easy? Yeah, couple yeah. of mil a year. Yeah, yep. good on him. Why not? All right, now an, an injury update. So, Macca, the Australian Ashes party already is being decimated by injuries. 27-year-old James Pattinson is out for the summer and it's believed he's questioning his whole career at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if he does maybe what Hastings and Sean Tate did earlier and concentrates on the short form of the game. Four overs of T20 cricket for the next few years. Well, man, is the upsetting thing about this, of course, that's really sad news for Patterson, but it puts... In the, in the, into the shade, uh, pace um, quartet a la the Windies in the 70s and 80s, does it? So we're not going to see that, but we probably wouldn't have seen that anyway. The, it makes the, it easy for the selectors. Well, the four pacemen of the uh, apocalypse, it would have been, I think that was your man Crash who bought, who gave them that moniker, but now it's probably... He'll be on the new show. West Indies, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, it does make it easy for selectors, but you can't say that Lyon would have missed out, but it's just, I mean, Patterson showed such potential. You know, he was someone who's going to play for Australia for 10 years as a test pace bowler. 70 test wickets after 17 tests. It's incredible. He's that such a fluid action, such a fantastic fast bowler's action, but it obviously puts such pressure on his body. I mean, Lily obviously had to rebuild his action in his body. And Pattinson tried to rebuild his action mm. and he's back in the same place. So that really does mean the attack is, without injuries, Stark, Hazelwood... I think I have to drop hazelnuts. Yep. And Cummins as you you three fast bowlers. Yep, yep. My latest update is that Hazelwood will be back for the New South Wales second shield match of the summer. So he should get two first class games as a lead into the the first Ashes test and more injuries. Well, so, we'll just go back to yeah. the pace attack. I don't think that's a fantastically balanced attack, isn't it? You've got in Stark, you've got your left armor that could bring the ball back in. Your Berendorf is his backup. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you've got Cummins, whose real beauty is just sheer pace, not that Stark's slow. but And he looks so good in he, India and Bangladesh. Yeah, he's, it's great to see him, you know, after all the trouble he's had to be coming back. But you've also got Hazelwood, who's that old that metronome, like McGrath, that really, you know, it's hard to get it off the square. He can hold down one end. He can move it off the seam. He's, he's, he will trouble England at places like the Gabba, but, and at places that aren't so bowler-friendly for him. He hold up an end. So, and with Lyon... You know, it's just, it's a great balanced attack, I well, think. Well, you talk about Lyon. I mean, I think they might have to just put him in a, a, a safe house or something until the Ashes <laughs> because we don't have any backup spinners. O'Keefe mm. has broken his finger. In the, so Stephen O'Keefe is out for the next six weeks. Ashton Agar is out with an injury. So really, if Lyon gets too, injured, yeah. we just don't have any backup spinner. You, I don't even think we'd pick a spinner if Lyon was injured now. You wouldn't put Swepson in there for the Gabba. So Lyon really needs to be careful in the, in the does, lead-up. Does to Zampa the, get a look in? I think you'd pick work. a fast bowler yeah. if Lyon was injured right now. Well, man, I guess the problem is, that, like you say, O'Keefe's got a finger injury. Agar's got a finger injury. So if O'Keefe can't bowl for six weeks, well, he's not going to be fit again for another 10 weeks, is he? So... So injuries are taking their toll. All right, so that was the cricket headlines. Now to one of my favorite segments, read and react. I've got two this week. One, I'm absolutely going to go off on someone. Like, I'm going to go ballistic at this guy. I was so angry. But first, I want to start with another story. I want to start with this story. And it was called Racism and the Big Change. And it was written by Usman Khawaja and published on a, a new website called The Player's Voice, which is like a, a website for players to write their own articles and have them published. Now, as a journo, James, what do you think of a website like The Player's Voice where the players try to control the message? Because it's taking jobs away from you and me. Well, man, as I'm glad you mentioned that controlling the message because people will say, you know, oh, you know, with all the, I'm not going to use that term fake news, but they'll say with all the, you know, media and agendas or whatever, or people turning stories that this is the players having their own say on things. But you've got to, of course, remember that the players can 
they can control the message as well. You might say that, you know, the Telegraph has an agenda or the, the Herald Sun has an agenda, but you're right, these players have an agenda as well. And, and mate, they, you know, Twitter, how long's Twitter been around? For almost 10 years. They can get on Twitter and have their say about things. And some, you know, you look at what Bogut does on Twitter and some of the other stars, they can have their say. Putting you know? a lot of other sports to this podcast, more than any <laughs> other <wondering>. podcast. It's going to be tough editing. I was wondering when you were going to bring that up, but... I wonder how long this will last. Is it just a bit of spin, though? Is it like oh. these these athletes, you know, and their agents and their marketing people for, getting together and writing for, some stuff? For me, hoping, it is. Yeah. For some of the, you know, I've enjoyed reading some of these articles, and maybe there's a space for this in an increasingly congested. Content America market. has a, a website like this, yeah. A direct. But that's uh, and, and, you know, some players announce their retirements on this website in, the, in America is a way of sort of circumventing the mm. media and giving the big finger to the media outlets. But that's a, it's a much bigger market there, of course. But Should we get into this article, though? Cause yeah, it's, because it's, I think this, this article is, is a good example of what is good about it, but also what's bad about, you know. But, I mean, you know, that's the world we live in, isn't it? Everyone's got a website, everyone has Twitter, Instagram, so there you go. So Usman Kawaj's article is called Racism and the Big Change. Andrew Bolt, that terrible com- political commentator, has had his say about it. All right, let me start. This comes direct from the article. In quotes, I could have played for Australia, but I didn't get selected because I was black slash Indian slash Pakistani, so I stopped playing. I've heard that story my whole life, whether it was from a family friend or just a random bloke. When I was younger, I used to think, sure, that's what everyone says. But after hearing this literally a hundred times over many, many years, I started to think that, wait a minute, maybe there is more to this. Where there is smoke, there is fire. So what Kawaja is saying there is that, I guess at a grade level, players that are black, Indian or Pakistani weren't selected for teams. Do you think there could be some truth to that? Well, men is... He's, he's, he's thinking about his answer very cagely here. Well, no, no. Well, man, as you, you hope that there isn't. I mean, you know, we're a really tolerant society. If you go back to when Usman Khawaja made his test debut, I don't think, in terms of cheers when batsmen have walked out at the at the SCG, that was just a tremendous cheer. You know, he had the whole crowd behind him. I'd say every cricket fan in Australia behind him. It was a bit, what it reminded me a bit, was in terms of appreciating the situation was when Graham Smith walked out with a broken thumb, obviously at the same ground. In terms of, you know, it was just a great support. We're not all the same and we're not all on the same side, but you applaud that courage or that perseverance to get there. And, man, as you you pointed to Andrew Bolt's article, and he's a very polarising political commentator. Some people like him, some people hate him. But he pointed out some very, very interesting and a little worrying inconsistencies in that Kawaja had previously stated that, and I quote from an earlier article when he spoke to respected uh, cricket writer Kate McGregor, quote, according to Kawaja, his life in Australia has been untainted by prejudice. Both cricket, especially his state and test teammates, and the wider society has embraced him. Continuing, I have not had any incidents of racial stuff, nor has my mum who wears the hijab. So... Like men as well. well look, it's, what's the truth here? I, well, I don't. I, I get, get that. This. I get. I do get that. But I also think that it's very hard to go on the record about racism. So Usman Khawaja maybe did just wanted to play straight back to that article with Kate McGregor. I can tell you, having been at grade clubs, I have no doubt this is true. I have absolutely no doubt this is true. When I was at grade clubs and uh, an immigrant, like a an Indian or a Pakistani would turn up to training to try out for the summer. They were treated differently. It may not have been blatant racism. So I can see okay, how that's disappointing, that but... at a grade level, 20 years ago, 30 years okay. ago, there might have been some racism. And I think it's easy, for, it's easy for us to say, oh, no, he's just making it up. I just think it happened. Now, he okay, goes on okay. to talk about the racism he encountered once he moved from Centennial Park to Erskine Park. And this is what he wrote. I felt like I had entered a totally different country in Western Sydney when compared with my earlier years in the eastern suburbs. At school, I was called things by other kids I had never heard before. Effing curry muncher was one of the more popular ones that particularly hurt. Now, I can tell you, I heard that sledge directed at Indian or Pakistani players on the cricket field when I was playing. So there you go. I don't doubt it. What do you think this article says about the Australian society, the way the Australian cricket team has changed, um, what 
what an article like this by a public figure does to the discussion of race in this country? Well, I guess it's bringing awareness to it, isn't it? And you'd have to think that we've moved on from those rather Neanderthal comments and attitudes and obviously unforgivable and unacceptable. I think we have moved. Yeah, we, I'm sure. You, 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 yeah, you wouldn't, my experience from 20 years ago would not be the experience Yeah, now. I'm sure, I'm sure. And, you know, and now that I think, you know, I, I played with a Bangladeshi guy at school and he did cop some terrible comments, you know. So, uh, you, yeah, I'm sure we have moved on. And, you know, a lot of the sporting codes have been fantastic in raising awareness. But, man, as I know, you don't look like to talk about other codes. But if you look at what's been going on in the AFL with some of the racism there, it's just totally unacceptable so unfortunately it probably does still happen but i think now people are prepared to call other people out on it yeah and stuff andrew bolt honestly that bloke weighing in on this that sort of victim blaming mentality honestly he, he might be a massive fan of this podcast man. Well, not anymore <laughs> uh, all right so that Wait, was... not, this is wasn't even the one you were going to get worked up on i guess i'm just curious as why do you think it's come out now do you think it's because it's this player's voice and they're trying to gain traction it's a good story, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. you know that w- people are talking about it. Yeah, sure, Bolt's sure. written an article uh, yeah. they were talking yeah, about on the point, cricket coverage. Point. I mean, if, if Khawaja had come out and talked about his first 100, do you think he would be talking about it? No, but no. I think I think he need, you know, and this is obviously a very, very important issue, and it's good that he's brought it up and called these people out. I think now we need to find out why he can't play the spinning ball as well. <laughs> All right, this is... Mad Manners. I'm just going to move back away from you here, mate. This is Mad Manners slash read and reacts. When I was in England, an article was published that completely incensed me. Now, I am level-headed, relaxed guy, but when I read this article by Jonathan Liu on Henry Blofeld, I literally just about blew my top. Jonathan Liu is now the chief sports writer for The Independent. They're not a News Corp brand, are they? I don't believe so. because it's about to get slated. But when he wrote... An article was for The Telegraph in the UK. And this is the headline. Henry Blofeld is a much-loved character, but surely we can do a little better than this example of privilege over performance. Now, I've picked out some clangers. This is what he writes. Equally, however, I think his journey matters because it raises important questions about the type of public life we want, the public figures we want, and who can prosper in a society we occasionally and amusingly describe as a meritocracy? Was Blofeld the best man for the job over his 45 years, or was he simply in many ways in the right place at the right times? How many potential commentary greats from less privileged background never enjoyed his fortune, never knew the right people, or never had the luxury of being able to give up a good job and never got to go to a Knightsbridge cocktail party. What the hell is he talking about? How can you boil Henry Blofeld's career down to an issue of race? I mean, Jonathan Liu is clearly bringing this back to himself because he feels like he's had a tough road getting into the sports media because he's from a minority. I mean, this is the most galling example of missing the point I've read for a long time. And if I was Henry Blofeld, I would be incensed that... Jonathan Liu would use him as an example of racism and the fact that because he's white, he got a job as a commentator. What the hell was that guy thinking? And how disrespectful to someone that's been in the box for 50 years? Yeah, I I mean, for such an iconic figure, and I don't think anyone would say that, you know, that Blofeld is not an iconic figure. He's not a Lou goes on the ban list right away. (laughs) Don't come down under. We don't want you. Sadly for me, man, this is just typical of some of the articles you'll get these days that are designed to provoke a reaction, and it takes a very left-wing sort of approach, doesn't it? it? It's just a load of rubbish. I mean, this guy's one of the greatest commentators of all time. He's more than earned his keep with his coverage and, you know, really fantastic, it's insightful insult coverage. insulting to our intelligence. I know, I know. It's totally Blofeld's off the mark. Yeah, achieved yeah, yeah. what he has because of I know. The, the, the fact that he was white and he got pushed forward. I mean... Give me a break. It's such a cheap, nasty story. And I agree with as, you, mate. As, as part of the story should be actually the headline, Blofeld was a very promising cricketer, was hit by a bus and had to give up playing and instead moved into commentary. So the, the tragedy is he could have been a player. So there's not much there's not much privilege about getting hit by a bus, is there? Yeah. So Jonathan Liu, you're an idiot. Goodbye. <laughs> 
All right, so that was Mad Manners slash Read and React. I've been saving that your, Lou blow up up for a while. And your eels will no doubtedly be burning. I was listeners. looking for him in London. I couldn't find him anywhere. But I was you might cross a... paths this Ashes summer, mate. All right, so we're going to take our final break for the show, and then we'll be back to end the show with a little bit of a chat about the the farce that happened at North Sydney Oval. Um, but before we do that, I just want to remind you all, uh, the new show starts in two weeks. I'm going to release the show on this feed, but it's also going to have its own feed. Patreon subscribers should end their subscriptions. And now... I had a little chat earlier with the new head of the Big Bash, Kim McConney. Regular listeners will know I've been pushing for Christmas Day cricket. Well, I've gone straight to the boss of the comp and put the hard questions to her. Have a listen to this, and then I'll be back with James McSmith. Uh, So, Kim, I'm a massive fan of the concept of Christmas Day cricket. Uh, You said you're interested in getting it up and running. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, look, I think it's an opportunity. You know, I'm two and a half weeks into the role, so I'm really just getting up to speed, having a look at, you know, what do I see as opportunities as we look to expand BBL and WBBL. And if I think about what I've seen in the States with the NBA, the NBA Christmas Day is a phenomenal success I think there's some things that we can learn there. I also think given that um, BBL has really been built on um, families and appealing to families, that there's opportunities. So early days, only a couple of weeks into the role, uh, give me a bit more time, but definitely I think something that we'd like to look at. Yeah, I campaigned for it pretty hard last summer and I found with, <laughs> the, I found with the players, they were, you know, there is some reticence there. It's seen as a holiday for everybody. How will, how will you get past that? Look, I'm not sure. I just met some of the players today. As I said, you know, it's one of the things that we're just looking to explore. Um, Only a couple of weeks into the role, I see some success in the US. So I think just discussion to have. We'll keep an open mind. As I start to meet some of the players, we'll be interested to understand their thoughts and, and have a discussion around it. Obviously in the States, all sports are played on holidays. Thanksgiving, NBA and Christmas Day is a massive and they generate huge revenues and the advertising. Is that something you could do here, do you think? Look, I think there might be opportunity. I think if you if you have the right fan engagement, people love it, they want to come along, they want to watch it, then hopefully there's opportunities for commercial revenue as well. Great. Well, I hope you can get it up and running. I'm a big fan of the idea. Oh, yeah. so, good luck. <laughs> Keep supporting us. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was the new head of the Big Bash League, Kim McConney, a big fan of Christmas Day Cricket, and I'm a big fan of hers now after she wants to get this off the ground. Macca, where do you stand on Christmas Day Cricket? I mean, you know, you you point to the American example, the North American example, there's got to be a market there. And I I think, you know, the ratings that they could go, you know, when we're all sitting at home full of beer and um, turkey, you know, waiting for something to happen, wanting something to watch on the on the TV. I think it's a perfect opportunity. And like you've said before, man, is if the money's there, the players will will do it, won't they? So I think I, I'd li- I would like to see it happen, yeah. Yeah, and I just think we've got to get past this. You know, even today when they were talking about it, a couple of players were shaking their heads. I mean, they just the players have to get over this Australian mentality yeah. of bludging all the time. I mean, if you're a professional <laughs> athlete, you're a professional athlete and the good of your sport, you know, can be prospered by playing on Christmas yeah, Day, yeah, yeah. then do it. I mean, you, you you don't play. It's not like they're on full-time jobs. It's not like... No. You know, so just, there, there, there's a hole there, isn't there? There's an absolute hole for just waiting to be filled by And cricket. there'll be like 15 million people watching mm, the game mm. because there's nothing else to do on and, and Christmas I also, Day. I also think you'd get people at the grounds. If it's the SCG or Adelaide Oval, you know, a, a nice 6 o'clock start on Christmas Day, people would be there. I mean, I'd be there. Mm. You'd be there. Mm. That's two. That was Kim McConney, probably will happen. I just want to end this show with extraordinary scenes at North Sydney Oval on Sunday afternoon in Australia. where, And this is the venue that is going to host the women's day-night Ashes test and potentially a Shield match. Uh, so New South Wales batted first. They faced 42 overs and were dismissed for 144. Doug, the rug, Bollinger, top scoring. Victoria were batting. They were four for 108 in reply after 26 overs. So that's 68 overs of cricket. And then the umpires get together and decide that the wicket's not fit to continue on, that it's a little bit dangerous, and they pull the players off. How can you do that after almost 70 overs? It, it does 
defy belief, doesn't it, mate? And so what's happened is now New South Wales is going to miss out on the finals because Victoria have been handed all the points from that game. New South Wales had to bat on the wicket and then all of a sudden it's dangerous for Victoria and they get awarded the win. I mean, those umpires need to have their heads checked. Yeah, this is something that rugby league fans, are, I know you don't like me bringing this up, rugby league fans So you love brought it. up football, rugby, AFL, Blame rugby the refs, league, blame the umpires. Basketball, you brought up Andrew Bogut. I mean, this is really is the end of the Australian <laughs> cricket podcast, is it? It's a new era, mate, you know that. Uh, yeah, so just extraordinary scenes out there. I heard some of the players talking today that they felt that the, there was a crack that the ball was lifting off. But, you know, the fact that the New South Wales bowlers are a bit quicker than the Victorian bowlers is probably why they were getting a bit more lift off the wicket. But all the players were happy to continue. They were happy to finish the game out. So it was just umpires complicating things and making an absolute farce of the game. And now you've had a match called off at North Sydney Oval. You had a match called off at the SCG two years ago. And then you had a match called off at Bankstown after Ryan Carter's and Aaron Finch put on 400. But apparently it was dangerous. So New South Wales are getting a bad rap. Yeah, you just wonder what it means moving forward, like you said, for the women's ashes, men. I mean, maybe Cricket Australia have got to keep a closer eye on things of what's going well, I guess on. What does it mean for New South Wales cricket that three matches have been called off in New South Wales uh, in the last couple of years? You know, surely that there will be some consternation at an, an association level about how this can happen. Well, curating you're, classes. You're bored maybe up. we should do a curating podcast. Yeah, we should. That would be massive, wouldn't it? Like there'd be at least six mm. listeners. Mm, we could the talk about buffalo and, grass and couch grass. Man, I think how the, much water. The the one at Blacktown, I think, was pretty much an example of New Zealand taking their bat and ball and going home. And they had, but this one just is just bizarre. And the other one that you mentioned, I think, was probably a, a bad oversight outfield. from Tom bad Parker, outfield. who has retired, who's having his last days at the SCG, Colonel Parker. So. So that's the go. JLT Cup, the finals. Uh, New South Wales are not there. It's looking like, who is it? Western Australia, South Australia, and Victoria will be the top three. Also, James, I know you're very excited. The Women's Ashes kicks off this weekend. Yep. So this Sunday is the first one-day international in Allen Border Field in Brisbane. The way the Women's Ashes is structured, three ODIs, one-day night test, and then three T20s to finish. Just shared point system. Obviously, there's more waiting for the test match. Look, I'm really excited about it. I'm thinking England starts slight favourites. But good news, next Monday will be a women's cricket special. Got Lisa Stalaker coming in. Hopefully, Brittany Carter from ABC. And we'll be talking about the women's ashes. All right, Macca, so that's it, isn't it? We well, should wrap yeah, up the that, show. that's it. I'm looking Great for- to be back. I'm looking po- forward to continuing on the next um, podcast. Please. Yep, your application. <laughs> Obviously, I have to file it with the seniors now and yep. see who are the, the, the boss. I'm the boss now. Um, but yeah, mm. listeners, thanks so much for downloading the show again. It's been gr- great to be back. I missed podcasting for the last six weeks. I just want to clarify my statement. London is a horrible place. England's pretty nice when he gets out outside of London. Jeez, it's horrible. It's crowded. It's noisy. I thought a train was going to blow up with the smoke once. I mean, so good to be back in Australia. Welcome I mean, back, mate. It really Summer's is the best, on the way. The best country in the world. I think you and I have done a good job today. Yep, so do I. Great. All right, listeners. Well, look- man, you know, what a knock it's been. 200 not out. And I look forward to continuing that at another venue. Exactly. Now, listeners, thanks again for downloading the show. And I'll be back next week with the final Australian Cricket good, Podcast. Good luck. Well played.